you know, sometimes great rewards come from great risk, right? And if you're, you know, but with risk also comes the possibility that you aren't going to succeed. Yeah. And by the way, what is, what is that to the self? Nothing. The only thing the self cares about, the true self only cares about not doing the thing that the self was supposed to be doing here on this planet. <laughs> exactly. The ego, well, the ego's got a lot to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? And that's how right. you can cut itself. Right. Well, friends, we've got a lot of content on today's show. I'm so glad you've joined us. I hope you're ready for a, uh, a good dive into a couple chapters from the Tao Te Ching. We're looking at chapters 7 and 2. We'll read them for you. But friends, I want to say that this is our first in a series of lessons that will happen this season. This season, we're talking about mostly the Tao Te Ching in various ways. We're also looking at other topics that are related to outfoxing religious wolves. But as we look at the Tao Te Ching, we're not primarily just going to teach you what the Tao Te Ching is in in the sense of a survey of it. This isn't like going into a world religions class and we're going to explicate Lao Tzu's Tao Te Ching with maybe a couple other texts. We are going specifically into places within these 81 chapters that will help us to find liberation, to very often find a kind of spiritual centering in a world where religious people and spirituality sometimes is so connected with authoritarian perspectives, with legalism, with stuff that stresses us out, with stuff that bums us out, with stuff that's toxic and unhealthy. And yet we need in our lives stuff that is going to be nourishing and helpful. On the show, we're interested in helping you at the end look at five ways in which you might experience a kind of wipeout when you're trying to surf the Tao. And in many of these cases, these are things that we've experienced. That is, as you get close to what Christians call repentance, enlightenment in the East, waking up, coming to your senses, liberation, what the medieval mystics called the beatific vision, that glimpse of something so beautiful, it totally changes your life. As you get close to that, as you experience that, there are sometimes when you will become a little obnoxious to other people and maybe you will make some mistakes that people have made for thousands and thousands of years. Now, don't be too hard on yourself if you do, like us, make those mistakes, but it's fun for us to be able to talk through why those things happen, where we should be looking out for them, and how we can avoid actually causing more of an obstacle for others as they themselves seek the way. We're going to talk about the difference between the ego and the true self. And then we're also going to talk about this idea that for Tao surfers, it's important to model the way rather than to be, um, you know, preachy. That and a whole lot more. Friends, so glad you're with us. Let's go. All ahead, one third. All ahead, one third. Aye, aye. Stand by to dive. Diving stations. Dive. Dive. Welcome, friends, to the Protect Your Noggin podcast. We offer lessons on outfoxing religious wolves. And sometimes we will address emotionally difficult subjects. So make sure you pay careful attention to our descriptions of each of the episodes. And then also have some resources handy, such as the Crisis Text Line. That's one of our favorites, which is 741-741. That's 741-741. 
Now, you just take a deep breath because we're not afraid to go deep. But don't worry because we'll also have some fun along the way. Our plan is to help us all resurface with insights and tools to help heal ourselves and our communities. So come along because we got this. Well, Stacy, we're having a lot of fun, but we've had a little bit of a, a little bit of a sad moment, a little poignant moment. People are struggling all around the world, and and you know, our problem is our cute little our little puppers, a little Bindi. Yeah, you know, she had a little surgery, and uh, it was sad. She's fine. She's doing great now. Had a little bit of uh, Kahlua Kahlua pork. A little bit of white rice from the Hawaiian place. I'm, well, She's not supposed to have anything but something bland. The veterinarian said that she should have something bland. And I said, this pork is good, but it's a little bland. And that <laughs> made a little light bulb. because I actually <laughs> tasted it. And I'm like, oh, wow, I thought this was bland. but <clears throat> you, you probably tasted the side where I put some uh, stone IPA tangerine oh. hot sauce on it. I must have uh, tasted the, that sauce because I was like, this is not... Just Trust me, with but the it did dog taste got. really yes, good, and it, good. that makes sense. And white rice, she's doing fine. But they they sent her home last night. I didn't sleep at all because I was making sure yeah. you know she was puking and stuff, and she's doing fine now again. And so this is the first time we had to go through a procedure like this, and I just was you know basically wondering: is it should she be throwing up? Is that normal? And my sister's like, no, not from my experience. You should check in with the vet, and it. Turned out um, that she had been dehydrated. And, and of yeah. course, we're also in the middle of a heat wave here in California. So she's prancing around now. Well, she was puking up water. Yeah. You know, and so, uh, friends, hope you're not eating lunch as you listen to our show. <laughs> Thank you for being with us. Um, but, uh, but she got some fluids, and now she's fluids. great. Now she's, she's got her energy great. back. And so we're. But this is why I brought this up. And that is a lot of the pain and the sorrow. And I'm not saying that we're necessarily right about this, but this is a concept. This is an aspect of surfing the Dow that I think is kind of practical before we get into the real, you know, the real meat of our subject. And that is, I was going to drive up to um, La Mirada, where there was a pet store that had a a suit that she could wear. And it was only like 35 bucks, but it was like a suit that she could wear so she wouldn't pick at her stitches. And, you know, Dogs, typically, and I'm sure if you have a dog, you, you know about this, they, they get the cone of shame, <laughs> yeah. the Elizabethan collar yeah. or the e-collar. And I, I, I don't know how any dogs pull this off, but our particular dog is extraordinarily uh, averse to shame. Yeah, she's very aware of anything that people respond to her differently. She didn't even want to walk into the area. We were going to have to pass by a couple of the kids that she loves hanging out On with. On campus here, there are some <laughs> children of faculty colleagues, mm-hmm. and th- and the dog loves these faculty children. Yes. And, and she, she didn't. She didn't want to cross their path because she was so like embarrassed of her. Co- so she literally planted herself into the ground, and I couldn't get her to move. And then, you know, eventually she, you know, okay, but we'll do this quick. You know, when she saw they went around the corner, and I've never seen anything yeah, like that. And then the the look in her eyes, like all of yesterday or last last night in the evening and stuff, it was like this. She was recognizing a pain that she didn't realize existed, existed. and looking at us like why. And it was shame for her own painful day. 
And like it was, she's and coming it wasn't back. just shame. It was also just like, what is this? Like, yeah. there's the shame part, yes, but there was another part to it. Well, she was already bummed. Mm-hmm. I'm saying the part that I just didn't know that an animal could experience. Mm-hmm. I knew it, like a fish can feel a prick and then swim away. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure trout don't feel shame. Old puppers here. The bindi, the bean dars, the bin bin, the beans. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a lot of nicknames for her. She, uh, she was horrified. So again, she was upset already, but then we got to the, where the kids were, and she said, I can't go in where the kids... It was like she was a five-year-old kid mm-hmm. who didn't want to go to kindergarten because she had like a something scar or something. Something was different, yeah. And, and then we get home, she sees Aiden, and I think she's going to be happy because now she's with the family and safe. Oh, no. She, uh, we'll post a picture of this. She just put the cone into the carpet... And just stood there like an ostrich, just staring in, in, in sadness and at the carpet. She wouldn't move and just had her face down. The reason, the- dear listener, I bring this up for you is not to just waste your time with my stories and my dog, you know. It's to say that I think a lot of the kids that I've taught over the years, the kids that you've, you know, worked with me in church contexts or whatever, right, Stace, mm-hmm. is... And parents and friends of ours, they think what they need to do to be good parents is to demand Mm -hmm. that the cone of shame be worn. Now, in many cases, the role, the tough role, the tough calling of a parent or a mentor or somebody is to give that tough love and say, I'm sorry. I wish there was a way for us to evade this uncomfortable situation. But there's this sense in which we always think that we're doing the right thing by erring on the side of not caring, not listening to the pain, and not thinking outside the box. So instead of doing either of those things, we, uh, we went with a whole different trip, which was somebody told us, hey, you could get a child's, a baby's onesie and put it on your dog so they can't get at the stitches. And I thought that was cool, except our dog is just a little too big. Yeah. So you spent all night last night, and tell the <laughs> tell the good listeners what you found. Uh, so I went into like the like the women's sections as like the undergarments for women, and found one that basically it still has the the piece that buttons much like a, a one, onesie does, um, and and yet it's still it's for it's made for adult women, so it's in larger sizes, and so I was able to find one. And so this one happens to when it's on her, it looks like a bathing suit. Really, she looks great. <laughs> she looks like she's wearing a black. One piece bathing suit. And she doesn't mind being a people, you know. And she so. <laughs> doesn't mind if she wears that plus her little scarf. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the point is, she's doing great right now. And she was kind of miserable before. And, and I'm not saying that, that we don't sometimes have to put the collars on ourselves or our kids or our students. Yeah, there's or tough things that we have to do all the no time. It's doubt. part of life. But the inevitability of it, or at least, you know, if you're a kid or a patient or whatever, knowing that at least people did look into the other options. I think is important. But most importantly, this idea that the best parenting is very much one in which you're the enforcer Mm -hmm. is something. Yeah. yeah. This is not just a parenting show. This is about a basic philosophy of life. So it could be you're a manager. You could be managing Mm -hmm. your own relationships at age 80. It could be how you're handling a classroom or a Sunday school room or any, you know, like any time when you're in charge of somebody else underneath you, right? The Tao does not privilege punching out force, conquest, domination, excessive energy. The Tao Te Ching teaches us to let it be. Now, it doesn't mean, as we're going to show over and over again, it doesn't mean we just let things 
slide that are horrific. Yeah, it's not an excuse to be, you know, just permissive, you know, or, or that you, you know, lack any sense of strength of your own or, or sticking up for yourself. It's not that at all. It's, it's though this idea that we need a little yin medicine sometimes to get out of tough situations. And at least before we fight, we need to think about ways that we can be flexible, ways that we could be natural, and ways that we might be able to win over our enemies instead of just Battling. conquering them and shaming them and destroying them, right? That's, that's going to be a big theme throughout this. But for, for us, we're really talking about modeling the Tao instead of just being preachy. So why don't you read for us chapter 7? Yeah, so chapter 7. Heaven and earth are long-lasting. They go on and on because they do not exist for themselves. So they endure forever. Likewise, the sage puts herself last, yet comes out ahead. She dies to her ego, yet she finds life. See how this makes her selfless? And this is how she becomes her true self. Now, first of all, thanks for uh, working on the the rendering there of it. I mean, Mm -hmm. one of the things, we're always kind of fumbling over ourselves to try to explain why on earth we would want to be involved in another version of the Tao Te Ching. And and the real simple answer, and we'll get more into it later sometimes um, in very specific ways, but as an overall rationale for why we would do it is we want something that we understand as we're trying to talk about it, something that we can memorize for ourselves and something that on the first read is helpful and meaningful to us. At least if you just sit with our words you won't necessarily need a commentary or explanatory notes. It should maybe take some time to unlock its meaning, but it should be clear on its own. Without just a whole bunch of explanations. Yeah, or and, lectures. And, yeah, yeah no. just to figure out what Hey, but well, these... welcome to the lectures and the explanation. <laughs> yeah. you know, that's what we're here for. But that's what we're going to do, right? So we'll have the text so you can kind of mull it over and then come on over and chat about it. What do you see here, though, babe? So the first thing that we should talk about is the sage. And what is... You know, what, is this, what does it mean? You know, when, when we say sage, what does that mean? Yeah. Sometimes, I mean, it, it could be just completely foreign to somebody and they might even think it's not, you know, not a good thing. In, in our context, generally when the Tao Te Ching talks about sage, it's, it's something that I know at least for myself that it would be wonderful if I ever achieved that. Right. <laughs> you know, that would be, you know, one of those, you know, a thing where, you know, I'd be like, okay, that, that's what the Tao Te Ching is discussing. Like, what, yeah. you know, a lot of times, what does it look like to be a sage? And In English, it just means the wise, a wise person. Right. And, and I think that there are times where we wrestled with, you know, with the sage. Like, they, we could have also said the saint. Yeah. I think that in our background, that was problematic for us because we think often, you know, that we, that sort of has a connotation of maybe somebody who doesn't sin or doesn't have any evil or any badness to them and that they're perfect here on mm, earth. Maybe a goody two shoes, <laughs> maybe a little too self-righteous, but certainly very, very, very holy right? and put together. And, and maybe holier than everybody, anybody, <laughs> right? And, 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 and that maybe comes with a pedestal. So in our mind, you know, like, again, that's sort of the connotation that we might put with that word. And we wanted to make sure we stay, stood, stayed away from that. Yeah. Uh, sage, you know, I think of, you know, wise person. You know, one of the things I like about the fact that we went with sage and, and, and for its purpose within the larger framework of protect your noggin 
is that I think very often in some religious traditions, the goal for you is to shut up and be a good sitter. <laughs> right, a, not a babysitter, right. but a person who just sits right. and, in a and pew or kneels and, and information. Right, just or, listen. Mm-hmm. And that seems unsatisfying to me, and not liberating enough in terms of what the game is. If whether or not we use the word saint or sage, you know, who, who cares? There are cultural reasons why we didn't choose to go with saint, but I do like the idea. Let's say within Protestantism, that all those who are the followers of Jesus are called to be saints. The ones that are kind of called out for the sacred presence, right? In Christianity, the people who are followers of Jesus are little Christs, little Christians. They are the followers of his way or the way. In mm-hmm. fact, early the church used to be called just the people of the way. The mm-hmm. way was the movement. So in other words, even though it was a different language, the first Christians were called people of the Tao, right? And they were the presence of God. Mm -hmm. They were the body of the risen Christ living in the world. In the world. They were uh, the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. You don't need to go to Jerusalem to access the direct presence of God. They become the presence of the Holy. So in that sense, Satan makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And it, and it takes us to the actual term for, sage or saint that occurs all throughout the Tao Te Ching. And that's the holy person, right? right. Is what it literally means. Mm-hmm. Shenren is the idea. Yeah, so a ren is a person. So the Shenren is this holy person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it could mean that person who has attained that oneness with divinity and so forth. You know, really, in both the Eastern and the Western tradition, what you actually find, if you follow me in, in, in my little... Uh, part of the world, uh, my work, in the history of ideas, the history of religion, it is very common that people misunderstand what saints' personalities were like. They weren't people that were extraordinarily gullible. Mm -hmm. They weren't people that necessarily believed in every miracle they came across. They were people that were surprisingly honest about the miracles that they were experiencing and, I, and you can use that in a variety of ways. I, I, like, I don't think a lot of the medieval hagiographies, the hagiography is the history of saints, right, lives. Mm. Um, I don't think they're all that accurate, right? There's a lot of oh, really wild mir- miracle stories of the saints throughout the Middle Ages. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about stuff that we've experienced in our own lives, where we were feeling a certain kind of connection mm. to the presence of something transcendent, mm-hmm. and people would seek us out. Mm-hmm. You know, people would, people would, you know, ask to talk to us or something. And, and, and uh, I think that in many ways, this is what you see in the, the, the masters of the Eastern traditions, but also the Christian saints uh, or, or people that I think ought to be saints. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're listening, uh, Pope Francis, uh, what, what's up here? Let's get Julian of Norwich in there. But Julian of Norwich um, is, this, uh, is this mystic woman and because of her direct bravery in, in staring at truth and God and suffering and everything, her willingness just to have her eyes open, if you really understand what her work was about, she's not more gullible than everybody. She's just somebody you can trust. Mm, mm-hmm. Because she's seeking the Tao, she's seeking Christ, she's seeking the way, and she's not all that interested in looking holy. Right. 
she wants to encounter the holy. She's not all that interested in big, splashy, you know, miraculous events. She just is willing to listen or to be present or to be a conduit for events like that. And you know, this is true in Buddhism and Taoism. The, the idea of do, doing miracles, it's kind of part of the thing, you mm-hmm. know, all sorts of Buddhist sages, you know, would, would maybe be said to have done, you know, levitations or mm. something. But it's, it's kind of like a way of saying, see, that's what, that's what happens every once in a while when you're tapped in mm. to this mm-hmm. reality. But it's not really about believing in something somebody else told you. What we're going to see in this chapter is that the saint or the sage, as we'll continue to use it now, the Shenren, the, the person who is the presence of the holy, is somebody who might have doubts all the time, but is relentless in pursuing the way, or is relentless in being honest about it. Well, and one thing I, I do want to point out is that in the original Chinese, those, you know, there's the, the Shenren. So the Shen part... The it, holy part. The holy part, that part, it, it suggests both good speech and also listening skills. Yeah, say more about that. And well, we're talking about the character. So in Chinese, how it'll yeah. do the, it looks like a little drawing. Mm-hmm. And so the way that they make the character for, the, for, for holy mm. is again good speech and lis- good listening skills. Mm. And it and by good speech, I don't think it's like oh, it was a great orator. Yeah, very well said, there, <laughs> sir. Yeah, I'm very articulate. Yes, <laughs> I think it's like truth and probably in, in how you speak that it's yeah. more of their words are on the mark. Mm-hmm. And what I really appreciate about that, as much as we often know and hear about, you know, somebody that is on the mark when they speak or that when they speak the truth, uh, we often have a whole lot less emphasis on the good listening. Yeah. And one of the things that I have learned in my experience is listening is the key to be successful most at almost most any position or anything you're pursuing. If you are listening for what the people are saying, your potential customers, um, your clients, um, if you really have an ear to hear of how people are, you know, their, their pain, maybe that they're crying out. And that's one thing um, with my work um, as, you know, a death doula that, you know, learning like a little bit more about how Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, when she, she was such a pioneer in, in hospice and, and just that whole, like that whole field that like she listened to people. She wrote the book on death and dying. Right. And she, she listened to people and she was basically trying to understand how are they experiencing death. And unfortunately, it, you know, back in her day and still even somewhat today, we kind of do a similar thing, but it, often in the hospitals that, you know, it's a very cold setting. You know, they wouldn't necessarily even tell the patient that they were dying. There's a lot of decisions. They wouldn't speak truth. Right. Yeah. And, the, and the patient themselves would know something is off. They'd often, at some point, know they were dying. But it was the, the elephant in the room that nobody could talk about that made the experience far more, you know, fear-inducing and yeah. caused a whole lot more of anxiety and pain and it didn't offer, you know, even the potential to heal certain relationships because you're, you're pretending like something isn't existing. Right. And so I think that, you know, when we are afraid to 
hear people's pain or hear what people have to say, uh, then, you know, we're, it, it just, it causes so much more fear and so much more confusion and it's, it's very detrimental to many things. And so, you know, I, 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 the main reason like we're even doing this podcast was because of the pain that you were, you know, you were hearing. And it's not always just pain, but just like, what do people need? The pain of the students through your students throughout the years, or even just as a, you know, as a youth worker. And I've been along your you know, side during all of this and just seeing these students just, you know, b- being in terrible situations, either at home or in church settings and, just being sad, <laughs> yeah, or bummed out, you know, and just whether or not, like, you know, what is this life all about? And and they're not even able to do even what they want. Some, you know, often that they're just trying to please their parents, and it and it can bring people sometimes to the point of not wanting to live, or obviously depression and certain things like that. And it's like it doesn't need to be there. And if we just hear some of this, and if we could, you know figure out, wrap our brains around, you know, how can we stop, uh, you know, some of this? How can we help yeah. the, pave the road to a place of, of healing and of life-giving and, and healthiness? And at least listen to what they're saying and bring it to our colleagues and friends who might have some way to help the situation. Right. You know, I mean, I would also say that the unspoken part of a lot of this is, a lot of my colleagues, people that I've known that have worked in churches, people that were the big people that were volunteers, they themselves got burned by it. Mm-hmm. And in any case, what we're saying here is that the Shenren, the sage, the holy person, is the person whose words are on target. And it's not ever going to be on target if you're just trying to adorn your own ego. Right. And that's a really important part of this chapter, one of the reasons I think we wanted to start out with it, because there's this distinction that we're going to make throughout each of the chapters between ego and self. Mm-hmm. And this isn't technical, but as a general as a general way of thinking about this, we and the Tao Te Ching want you to tame, to stand aside from, to keep in check, maybe even to kill mm-hmm. your ego. And by ego, we're basically referring to a false self. Yes. Right? It's, the, it's all of the not us that we put on us because we either think or other people tell us that it looks good or makes us look better. And that somehow, in some way, that maybe that is a sign of success or, you know, that we're doing something right. Right. <laughs> that we want, you know, either the praise or whatever, and it's a way for us to avoid, uh, you know, problems are being looked down upon or things like right. that. So it's all of the, the trappings of the false self that we will be, use, that's what we're referring to when we're talking about ego. Yeah, it's the pretend you mm-hmm. that's so terrified of being seen. Found out, yeah, right? What if fraud. they knew, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the ego is the part that makes you angrier and sometimes more unsettled mm-hmm. as you approach enlightenment and the truth, the gospel, the reality, right? So the more we start to get close to these teachings that are emancipating, that is they're liberating, 
whatever they may be, the more there's temptation. And I, I will make reference throughout these, these lessons to, to world religions uh, across the spectrum. But in almost every case, the sages of the great traditions always had to face that temptation. So, of course, Jesus tempted by the serpent before mm-hmm. Jesus starts his ministry. And what is he tempted with? He's <clears throat> fame. Yeah, power. Power, yeah. Wealth or food. Glory. Ego, yeah. And that's ego. Uh, Mara tempts the Buddha underneath the Bodhi tree. It's the, it's the same kind of thing where what you see is that anytime you're about to wake up, there is something that we can rightly call a devil character whether the tradition has that be something psychological within you or a fallen angel, there is this phenomenon that will happen in your own family, your friend group, whatever. The closer you get to getting out of your sickness, you need to realize, friends, that the closer you get to getting out of your sickness, there are going to be other people that want you to stay sick. This is true in addictions. This is true. We briefly mentioned this on a prior show, but it, it is true and it happens. And, and one thing that you would have to recognize if, if this is happening to you is you really can't let <laughs> that person get in the way of your health, right? Right. That keep on the path that you are. And you don't have to, <laughs> also, you don't have to fight them. No. Just keep doing what you're doing. And they will either choose to accept it or they will walk away from you. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll slowly start to back out or maybe quickly back out who knows but if they are there because of some sort of sick codependent relationship or something like that it will become an you know it'll be obvious and again you don't have to blow up in a big old fight or whatever just keep doing what you're doing and let them be as upset as they want to be and you just you calmly tell them that i am just doing this for myself this for my own health and it, this really isn't about you. I'm sorry that, you know, whatever you want to, mm-hmm. whatever you might be sorry for that, you know, that you're feeling left out of this or whatever it is. Um, but, you know, it, it's important to um, stick to your, your ground and, and what you need to do. So in that sense, when we say that the sage puts herself last, right. it isn't in a way that means, oh, well, I'm going to make sure that I don't upset all the people around me or that I don't get healthy because they need me to take care of them. Right. Or, any- or I shouldn't assert myself because they're going to be angry or jealous and punch, punch me down and right. nothing so like that. It's not that at all. And it's more about when, I mean, the Tao Te Ching always does refer to um, that the sage will actually take care of the self, right? They yeah. take care of... Sometimes just feeding yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with healthy foods. Right, <laughs> you right. Know, not just feeding, but with healthy food. Things yeah. that are actually going to promote life in you and, you know, and help, you know, you have a good good mindset and, you know, and, and just your body overall, having everything be working its best, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so, so, you know, even if that means, you know, taking care of yourself through, you know, exercise and, you know, certain things like that, if, you know, all done in a healthy way, that is a, a, a piece of that you're on the right path. <laughs> so you do need to take care of yourself and that the self part that, you know, that whether that means, you know, sometimes time to yourself um, and any of that, 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 whatever that does mean for you, um, that will put you in a healthy space. Mm-hmm. That is important. Um, but let that self just 
be. be and let the ego fade away, right? So don't be egotistical, don't be selfish, but have self-esteem, take care of yourself, and most importantly, the way that you can, can get aside from the false demands of ego and adorning your ego is in fact to let your true self shine. That's mm-hmm. why like you're rightly saying, let it be. Um, a way of thinking about this would be, what if you really just wanted to, let's say you're a young lady and you really just want to skateboard, right? Ego might say, your friends are going skating and you want to go with them, but you haven't put on your makeup yet mm-hmm. and you're not really comfortable with the outfit you're wearing and you're not sure about your hair. By not worrying about ego, you can go out, mm-hmm. right? And people, they can say, oh, why aren't you wearing makeup or we don't like your hair? Yeah, I don't care. Right. right you know it's like i'm gonna go skate right that's that's the that's the way you would proceed and what happens when you're skating with the wind in your hair without having to dress up for everybody else and to look a certain way to make them think that they're you know able to approve of your appearance or whatever what's happening you're being your true self you're going to live truly mm-hmm. and you're going to let yourself skate right. <laughs> so the reason this matters and it's about the skating yeah. It's not about how you're skating. <laughs> yeah, you right, know, right. Or what you look like while you're skating. Right. It's just about being in your body and enjoying being, you know, on a pair of skates and the movement and the wind and everything else that that entails. And ironically, the coolest looking skaters or surfers <laughs> or whatever are people that are just kind of flowing with their flow and they've obviously worked hard at it. But they don't tend in my experience, they don't tend to notice you. I, sometimes when we're in Venice Beach and people are doing the, the, you know, the skating where it's just really cool to see all these people oh, yeah, dropping yeah, yeah. in and, and, and it's like that uh, just really wild spot of, of just the coolest skaters in, in the area. And, and uh, they're jumping up into the air. and Yeah, they care. They, they want to show us their art. They mm-hmm. want to show us their beauty. But they're listening to their music. They're not looking at the crowd for approval they're just dancing their dance well, and that's what's beautiful they're kind of losing right. themselves in the that space in that moment yeah you know? and that's the, uh, that's the other thing <laughs> because it, <laughs> I could imagine if I try to get on a skateboard and, and do all this and if I was just going to try to master this that could almost be like a living hell for me because <laughs> you know I'm just sitting there trying to look good right mm-hmm. you can't really ever probably even start to look good doing it (laughs) unless you are enjoying it because there is a flow that you get into when you are passionate about something that does have a beauty to it. You know, any, anything forced people know it's forced. It feels forced and it looks horrible. It looks forced. (laughs) Isn't that the paradox? Mm -hmm. People that are obviously spending a lot of time in the mirror. Sometimes it's like, okay, I'm glad. Yeah. And by the way, we've talked about this before. If you want to make your look pop and you want to dress up because you're on a great date and you want to show it. your date yeah. that you respect them, I put on a jacket today <laughs> because I was, you know, Zooming with some students and I wanted them to understand, even though it was hot, 
I was in my air-conditioned office, that I'm a professor that showed up and I care about them, right? Right. And I'm a kind of guy who's got long hair and sometimes I look a little, uh, you know, dumpy. So I didn't want them to think that I didn't care, right? So, th- th- so that's perfectly good. Them. That's respectful, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's not about me worrying, oh no, is a hair out of place or something. That's Or will I look yeah. professorly with this coat on? So one of the reasons this is so important to us, though, when it comes to the conversation about religion and religious abuse is that we are worried sometimes that Asian philosophies or Eastern philosophies at first appear to be an avenue for liberation for folks, Mm -hmm. but they still don't get this distinction between the the submission of your ego or the the quenching of your ego Mm -hmm. and the, the lifting up of your true self either in Western traditions like Judaism, Christianity, or Islam, uh, or in Eastern, more Eastern traditions like Buddhism and Taoism, there's a way in which all religions have a great peril when they start to destroy the agency, the, the individual beauty of the people that mm. come for the medicine to, to follow, right? Like, they become... You know, they just get turned into the minions, mm-hmm. the religious minions. And if your friends, if your religious group, if you're in a religious group, is trying to make minions, that's dangerous. If you are thinking, ah, I'm going to get out of that, and I'm going to get into Eastern traditions, I'm going to go find a guru, or even somebody who's not seeming to be a guru, but is acting that way in terms of a proprietary meditation practice, or diet pill, or wh- whatever it is, there's a, there's a lot of times when I just see people that leave, let's say, Christian fundamentalism, where they denied their own desires, pleasure, mm-hmm. just they weren't honest with themselves in Christian fundamentalism, and then they turned to an Eastern tradition and still kind of fell into that mm. by just now just giving themselves entirely over to a guru in a, in a different tradition. Right. So... What comes to mind when I'm thinking about all this really is is the concept of of dieting, and I feel like you know there's there's so many women that I know in my lives that uh, over and over it, it feels like they're almost always on a diet, and I and I feel bad for them because our problem is we're always not on a diet. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, and we probably should. In some ways, <laughs> yes, but. we should someday. one of these days. But the, my point is though is that. Um, when when you approach anything from a perspective of scarcity um, and and denial mm-hmm. of of self of you know for things and 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 so that you're you know I'm going to get healthy and so I'm going to just cut out all these sweets or whatever you're starving your desires and will yeah. right I think that you know it's it's possible you know it is possible to conquer that and to get healthy but I there's a it can be very difficult and painful. And there's a lot of reasons why often many diets just don't work out, right? That people give up before they can get the results that they want, or they will starve themselves for a a period of time. And then as soon as they achieve their goal, you know, then they go off again and then everything just, they might even gain more weight than they originally, um, you know, had lost or something. Whereas instead for us, when, um, when we were able to especially uh, practice yoga in a studio, we saw our bodies naturally wanting healthier foods, mm-hmm. and we were getting, you know, we were losing weight and getting healthier. I lost 30 pounds. 
and did you feel like you were starving yourself or that you were depriving it. yourself from anything that you no. really felt like, you know, you wanted? No, no, it just, it happened and it happened, I would say, painlessly. It wasn't effortlessly because right. we still had to show, we still showed up for yoga and we right. still, you know, there were certain things that we were doing to take care of ourselves, but the rest of it all sort of came in naturally. And I would put it this way. When we were, and we have in the past, trying to do one of those cleansing diets so that we can look hot for the beach days of California summers back in the day, it didn't work. No, it doesn't. When we cared about ourselves finally, it worked. When we cared about our egos, it didn't work. We cared about ourselves, it worked. And it won't always work, but it could be other aspects of your life. But this is the irony. If you love yourself and care for yourself, right. you're going to be a nicer person because you're going to be in a, ne- a better state of being mm-hmm. because you're going to attend to your true needs. And, uh, and sometimes those are food. This is why I think it's really interesting that what you see in Lao Tzu talking about you know, filling your belly and, and mm-hmm. attending to bodily needs, another chapter we'll have in the future, when you have Jesus being asked, why don't your disciples fast? And the idea is, again, there's a time to do that. There's a time for a cleanse and detoxing. But there's also a time to not starve yourself and think that's the true spirituality. Like, I've got to starve myself and then I'll arrive. And I think that there is something, you know, with the fasting, there is sort of a, sometimes a reset. Yeah, that's different. That your body might need so that you can more painlessly uh, let go of some of your cravings, right? If you're constantly eating carbs and things like that, your body... Mm might need to detox from the carbs and the sugar for a little bit to not crave it. We are not against fasting. We're against <laughs> fasting as if that is going to beat your, yourself down so now you, you, yourself isn't a problem. Or if that <laughs> is the way that you think you're going to look beautiful. Yeah. Or, well, yeah, right. So, like, there's, there's spiritual people. This is the problem, you know, Siddhartha Gautama goes out and he says, oh, let's go see what the renunciates are doing. I bet they've got enlightenment. And there's a bunch of people that were starving under their own trees you know, in India, it's like, all right, that didn't work. You know what I'm saying? There was a way in which, there's a way in which you, you find the same thing in certain forms of Christian monasticism, all sorts of groovy stuff that the, that the Egyptian, uh, you know, desert fathers had going there. But by and large, I feel, you know, this is, you got to say this with humility because who, who is, who is Malins in here to, to criticize this? But, you know, like, like Benedict of uh, Nursia, throws his body into brambles so he doesn't lust. Mm. I think that's misguided. Uh, Origin of Alexandria, the great, uh, you know, Christian thinker who was kind of heterodox. He wasn't accepted all the time, you know, by the Catholic Church, but he, um, he read that passage where Jesus says, you know, uh, if, your, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it into the fire. Well, he goes, well, I know what's going on. So he castrated himself. Mm. Later thinking, maybe we should use allegory when we're interpreting the Bible. Like, right? Maybe that's not exactly what I should be doing. But there is that body-denying type of spirituality in uh, Eastern Christian Gnosticism, in forms of Buddhism, you know, at, at, what have you. So there, that religious sentiment happens. And again, I think it seems so simple, the difference between ego and self. Mm-hmm. But I've never really seen that expressed clearly and repeatedly to young people in such a way that they knew the difference between being selfish and looking out for themselves when they're being bullied or mm-hmm. mistreated by a youth worker, for instance. Right. And that, so that there's an empowerment there. 
Yes. When you're in the self, I would say that, you know, the ego is somebody, you're giving your power to somebody else because your ego is existing not for yourself, but for something or someone else. And so you are giving up that power to that other person, entity, value, whatever it is, you know, you're giving that power to that thing. And that's where um, you're, I guess, in a way, for lack of a better word, a slave to to them or that, because you don't have your own agency at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, some people think that's exactly what you should be doing. Peter Berger, the the sociologist, called this spiritual masochism, where you're so worried about getting your spirituality wrong that you eventually just say, I'll get whatever suffering I've got to get, but I want to let go of having to worry about it. Mm. And I think that's sad. Yeah. And I understand why people do it, but I think that if there's anything useful about spirituality, it's going to, I think, wake us up to a love of the whole world, but also a love for ourselves. Yeah. And without that, if you don't have that, if people aren't encouraging your you, true self, yeah, yeah, your true self. If people aren't encouraging you to love and and come to find the integrity of and the happiness of your true self, well, what's that about? Right. <laughs> and what what do they got to benefit from? You that know, nonsense? and if and if if you are only able to stay in relationships for that fine line of how you're pleasing them. Um, you know, this is not a point of that you are cruel to anybody else, of course, but that there should be the love of your true self that that person is drawn to Mm. and not the trappings and the false self that you, you know, have adorned yourself with, which is why, you know, so often with dating, (laughs) it's like people sometimes pretend to like foods that they don't like yeah. or, you know, will go to venues that they don't, you know, they can't stand. And then they real, you know, wonder, you know, a month down the road, why they're not getting along with this person that they're dating. Well, you never admitted what you actually enjoy doing. Yeah. You never, in, it, <laughs> you never introduced this person to your true self. Right. So you just showed them your ego. They might be falling in love <laughs> with a version that you, you know, want them, you know, to see, but that doesn't get you anywhere down the road. And eventually they're going to learn who you are and <laughs> you might as well cut to the chase mm. and find out if you're compatible in the first place, <laughs> you know, then to waste you know, all that time when you realize, you know, that you're not the person that you said you were, you know, yeah. or whatever. It's just, it's, it's sad because we want to be liked yep. and we want to be loved. And I think that really is, you know, one of the huge bottom lines is people want to be accepted and they want that sense of, you know, belonging and they will almost deny themselves and who they really are so that these people will fall in love with them. That's the most tragic thing in the world. But the good news is if you listen to Lao Tzu and you let it be by it being yourself, your true self, let it be, let it grow, let it kind of regain like that plant that you forgot to water for a while, regain its vitality, put it in the sun, give it some water, let it come and bring forth the fruit that is going to be a blessing to other people. Well, now, and and yeah. I really will say, I mentioned that, you know, something that you mentioned in your book, Sexy, is for those people that are, you know, trying to find, a, you know, a dating partner or, you know, anything like that, you mentioned to, the, to them that go and do things that you love doing 
and then find the people that are also doing that. And don't look for the relationship. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, look for what you love about life. Yeah. And then that will look attractive. Here, here's the, here's the best. It, this is my ideal date. You, you love, you love uh, ornithology. You're staring at a sandhill crane and you're just wonderstruck by this little scene of this sandhill crane right, and this beautiful marsh. And you look to the right and there's somebody that you find attractive. But more importantly, they're focused on the sandhill crane. Yeah. And then you're standing shoulder to shoulder and you say, hey, let's go talk about this over some coffee. That's that's what it, where it's at. Now you don't all have to have the same interest, but if you're if you're single and you're looking for a relationship, do Let's, not look for other people. <laughs> look for beauty, truth, and goodness. And whoever is on that same path, path right. whoever is walking the Tao, the way with you, those are your traveling partners. Those are people you should be friends with. Those are people you should date and marry, etc. Exactly. Now take this to the kids, Stacy. So we've said let it be means let your true self be. As you quiet down your ego, what do we do for the kids? Read chapter two, if you wouldn't mind. Absolutely. Once we perceive beauty in the world, we also discern ugliness. After we gain knowledge of goodness, we also recognize evil. Existence and the void give birth to each other. Difficult and easy determine each other. Long and short measure each other. High and low position each other. Tone and silence make melodies together. Before and after march in the same parade. Therefore, the sage manages life without dominating and teaches through living rather than preaching. She lets the living things sprout without judging them, then lets them flourish without trying to own them. The sage creates art without making it her identity. When her art is complete, she lets it be. This is why it endures forever. Yeah. In my reflections, I talk about how in the, there's a psalm that has this refrain, you know, God's love endures forever. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know what's interesting about that? God's love, his love endures forever. Our love endures, endures forever. forever. We're so desperate to try to grasp these temporary things in life, our cars and titles and they all go away. Mm-hmm. Moth and rust destroy these things. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, sometimes we neglect love of ourselves and others, which is the one thing that has that eternal magnification. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, God's everlastingness is God's the love. love. Yeah. <laughs> That's the being. And the rest of everything in the universe is what... An unconditional love. Kind of blows away from us, like, you know, like old skin. Yeah. yeah. Unconditional love. Yeah, it's unconditional love. Endures forever. Now, I want to say, friends, throughout our lessons on how to surf the Tao, we are not going to be explicating every part of the Tao Te Ching in terms of the philosophy of the Tao Te Ching. We're just going to let it stand. So, for instance, one of the most important things that you may have known about, or if you're here, for instance, because you're a 
high school student looking to do a report on the Tao Te Ching. Mm-hmm. Well, there might be other places to get a little bit more of a, a short version of this that's going to make your, your teacher happy. But your teacher is going to be interested in this idea of these opposites. So you think about that, that classic symbol that is familiar to many. We knew it in Southern California as the logo now for... No, no, no. That was a town and country. So oh, different, sorry. similar. You're on the right track. The surf... The surf uh, company. But, um, but yeah, it was the yin and yang, right? So there's this, this balance between these things. We're not going to spend a lot of time on that to, today, but that is a common theme that comes up. We just want to say at this point that it's not about relativism. It's not that good and evil are the same thing, mm-hmm. but it is that, that realization that you can't really get any clarity on anything until you see it's it's opposite or something to measure against it. Mm-hmm. So something's only big if there's something else to compare it with. Right. So you have light, and when you have not light, you can't see anything, right? Right. There's darkness. You don't know necessarily... You that, don't know either of them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Until you witness the other. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that we are going to do... So what we are interested in doing for these lessons, though... Again, not trying to just tell you everything you need to know about the Tao Te Ching. We're going to isolate those parts of these 81 chapters in two to three chapters per lesson. Uh, but we're looking at ways in which these can help us, especially if we have had a bad experience with religion, or we want to make sure that as we go into life, that we're just equipped to not be trapped, but rather to be thriving and set free. And as we do this, we're, we're starting out this whole series, How to Surf the Tao, Lesson 1. We're starting the whole thing out by telling you that there are some pitfalls. We've already alluded to one, and that is if you come close to really waking up to repentance, to use Christian language, to enlightenment, to use Eastern language, if you're coming close, the devil's close by. This isn't to scare you. This is to say, as we've already said, that there will be those, those difficulties. And then the second thing is, and this is a hard one, when you see the real beauty that's possible, when you contemplate with us, friends, unconditional love, pure goodness, truth, and beauty, what the Christian mystics called the beatific vision, if you want to contemplate it, and if, if you're lucky, if you're blessed, as they say, if you can get a glimpse of it, and if you can see in some kind of mystic way, goodness, truth, and beauty, there is a problem. And that problem is ugliness appears to be more ugly. You see it for what it is, I would argue. But it's like when you, when you, come, when you come to understand beauty, when you see people being exploited, it m- makes you want to kind of wretch. We were hanging out with a friend the other day in Huntington Beach, and there was a. We were trying to talk about sublime things, and mysticism, and contemplation, and we couldn't really focus because next to us was a Lamborghini <laughs> with a, 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 a topless lady on the Lamborghini, and it was all the devil. But it wasn't the devil like, oh, we should be ashamed of you know unclad bodies or you know being cool or fast cars. No, it was this idea that they were selling this car Mm -hmm. using sexuality, but they weren't just selling the car. They were selling pure ego. 
mm-hmm. right? Like they're selling, they're selling what we'd argue is just the absolute wrong way of thinking about success. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yet, in the past, I might have said, oh, well, that's kind of interesting or, you know, wow, that's a fast car. Now, it makes me sad. It doesn't, you know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, just, and, and I think that goes back to what we were talking about with yoga and food. There are certain kind of unhealthy foods mm-hmm. that when we started really getting into connection with our own bodies, they just, they, bad food didn't taste good. Mm-hmm. And that's also what I argued, you know, in the book Sexy, that degrading porn isn't something that the Shenren should develop willpower to resist. Right. Like, don't think about sex. Don't think about naked people that you find attractive. <laughs> First of all, I, don't, I just don't think that works. <laughs> Second of all, I don't think like God's up and there's a, this old man in heaven that cares that much about that particular thing. <laughs> okay? right. So like, I just think the whole, the whole concern that was so much a part of our evangelical childhood it's not that important. Yeah. But what is important is when you truly see the unity of all human beings in this holy space of existence, then any degradation of our brothers and sisters does not seem attractive to us. It's a transformation that comes with staring directly at something that is true and good or, or, or confronting it right. honestly. Well, and so, you know, back to the the piece about the Lamborghini um, and the whole photo shoot that was going on, you know, it was it was interesting because, you know, we were in our in our truck, but everybody kept just looking in our direction. We were like, "What is going on?" And we finally realized, you know, the reason for it. But, you know, as I sat there thinking about it, first of all, just the photo shoot itself grabbed a whole lot of people's attention. There yes. were people taking pictures. There was, I mean. And I'm talking about... I, yeah, Mormon moms taking pictures of people taking pictures yeah, there's, there was, of a dude taking a picture of a topless lady on a Lamborghini. <laughs> women with, you know, their strollers with their kids that were stopping and they were taking pictures, you know, and and <laughs> it's just, it didn't matter. People of all sorts of ages... And, it was a know, spectacle. It was a very big spectacle. And, it was not Dow. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so I'm thinking, okay, so you're selling to, you know, the gentleman... Um, apparently that you can have this woman if you have this car, you know, mm-hmm. that might make this appealing or that that kind of woman wants to hang around your car anyway. If you, if you're a male that you purchase it, right. Mm-hmm. Um, if for the woman, you know, if she's not buying it herself, I mean, maybe she also <laughs> gets the, the lady if she wants um, and that, that whole image or whatever. But if, if for some reason, this is the kind of woman she needs to be to end up with the man that has this car. Well, now, so that man has to make enough money to have the car so that the lady likes him. The lady, you know, needs, you know, this, I guess this, this man to work and, and provide this for her so she doesn't have to. So she and, can and now she can it. boast to her, her lady friends that she's important because her husband's rich, but she's got to look good. She's got to look good. Because if she stops All looking good, now and she doesn't. And he's got to keep making money ah. because if, if he can't keep buying all the nice things, then the reason they all got into it in the first place has basically collapsed on them. And uh-huh. that's the, the, the lack of the true self that eventually will or can implode. And what's sad about that is, you know, when, you know, when something like, the lockdown and COVID happens and people, you know, lose 
all sorts of money and then mm-hmm. they can't afford the houses or the cars or whatever for really no fault of their own. It was just the nature of the economy and what's going on. COVID and um, people's false assumptions about you and the economy can deal a really heavy blow to your ego, yes. but they cannot touch the diamond in your heart that is your true self, right? right? So the reason, it's not like even you're a better person for cultivating your true self. It's in your best interest to ignore your ego and cultivate your true self because your ego is going to be addicted to things that aren't going to be very helpful in the long run. And I would say this goes back to this this statement I've already made, which is the Shenren, the sage, being a holy person isn't saying that they are better at willpower. It's not even saying that they're, by disposition, better people. It's that, in my case, you couldn't drag me into that life. If they said, all right, good news, Mallinson, (laughs) you're going to make $3 million a year, but you're going to constantly have to live in this world where people are always puffing up their chests and always out to get you, and uh, and your wife's going to have to face other uh, wives that are always down on her for not wearing the right clothes, and then she's got, like... That's, I to me, that's hell. You, that's, that's hell. <laughs> so it's not, like, I'm not a good person, but I have, in, I have encountered enough holiness, at least, to say, I'm not interested in that right. at all. And, and I do want to mention that the one thing... I will take a million dollars, though. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I could put it to great use. <laughs> <laughs> we would have lots of great causes that mm, we would love yes. <laughs> to see happen and help. And, oh, yeah. yes, yes, definitely. Um, but the... <laughs> sorry. The, I'll say the one guarantee, no matter what, that I, I can tell you all right now, when you are on... Throughout your entire life and eventually when you're even on your deathbed, the one thing you definitely will have for sure, even if everything else goes away, is your true self. Mm -hmm. That is the one thing you will be there, you know, will be there with you. Um, And I think it's it's best to, I don't know, get to know that true self now, (laughs) you know? I mean, and then that way you can really enjoy life and living life now. So the first thing we noticed is as you approach enlightenment or repentance, you, you experience temptation. The second thing is you start to see things as uglier. So you said, you mentioned, you know, with the first point being temptation. I mean, I often see, um, in a lot of ways, because of my Christian background or whatever, I see that as a very Christian word. Um, I would love for you, though, to go ahead and define exactly what you're saying when you, when you mention the word Temptation. Oh, temptation. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to go into the weeds of all the different world religions and what, you know, you'd be tempted to because the different traditions will have different ways of thinking about what you should avoid. But it's distractions. Yeah. It's, it's the people and the inner drives and the spiritual negativity that doesn't want you to get well. And so they're going to say, but wait, 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 but what if, what if we come hang out over here and let's, you know, let's go party and get drunk over here or whatever. The, the temptation isn't to drink because maybe you want to have a great beer and that's, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. You know, that'll be fine. It's there, there are ways in which people and forces will say, here's this shiny object that I'm trying to throw in front of you so it distracts you from leaving me. 
right? I'm over here. I'm in my addiction. I'm in my sorrow. I'm in my misery. You seem to be going to this beautiful place. Mm -hmm. I don't want you to do that. I want you to stay with me. So I want to tempt you with all these other opportunities. So, again, it's not the... I just want to emphasize, because yeah. that is a very helpful clarification, because I think sometimes we falsely sort of think of temptation as sort of something that like just looks, looks nice. really yeah. nice, but you know, uh, God just doesn't want you to, you know, partake in this yeah. fun thing. Oh, it's a huge <laughs> problem in evangelicalism where, where especially, you know, heterosexual dudes are very, you know, worried that the women are too pretty. <laughs> and it's causing them to lust and sin. Right. Like, uh, uh, <laughs> maybe. Uh, there's another way of, of going that way. Now, it, it is possible that you could be in a really, just let me give you this example. I'll flip it around so that the ladies don't get mad at me here. But uh, let's say I try to uh, be more alluring, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to, I get a sense that you're going to leave me because I am being a terrible human being. Okay. Let's say I'm just, I'm just being a miserable person. It's bad for you. It's, I'm unhealthy for you. Mm-hmm. Say I'm being narcissistic and cruel. And you're about to leave. I'm going to try to get you to stay, maybe. Mm-hmm. At first, I might be mean and yell and threaten. But when I realize that's not working, what do I do as a manipulator? I'm going to say, oh, no, let me show you some pretty things. Let's go to Disneyland. Mm. Let's have another baby. Mm-hmm. Let's go on this trip to the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. Let me show you how successful we are at, at, by taking you to this gala. Mm-hmm. So, so temptation, again, it could be inward. It could be societal or it could be a manipulator in your life. But temptation, as we're seeing it here, is any way in which somebody's putting something in front of you as a bait to take you into captivity. It's the same thing. Jesus loved bread. Jesus gave, you know, a bunch of people bread, the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus also refused the bread that he was tempted with in the wilderness temptation if it meant that he was going to give up on the mission. Yes. That's what we're talking about. It's It's diverting. It's diversion. And thanks for asking it because I never, you know, I had to to talk that out to think about it. So the first is that we sometimes will find ourselves being tempted. The second thing as we approach... Um, becoming Tao surfers, right? The, mm-hmm. the goal of becoming the sage, ultimately the Tao surfer, is that things appear a little bit ugly. I just want to say one more thing on that. And that is in the, the Brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky, one of the coolest characters who is kind of a, uh, a saint, you know, in mm-hmm. his own way, Father Zosima. He says, when he experienced that mystical reality, he said he had this deep love for all people. And I knew, when I read that, I said, oh, I know exactly what he's talking about. The person who encounters the holy, the person who wakes up, mm-hmm. will look around and start to see that everybody is beautiful in one sense. Mm-hmm. And they will see all the beauty in the, 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 the face of an elderly lady mm-hmm. and the cracks in the ground and a dying tree. Everything becomes beautiful again mm-hmm. in, in, in that mystical sense. And then, other thing, and then also everything becomes really annoying. You're like thinking, don't you know? What <laughs> the beauty right the, in front of you. <laughs> there's this gift and you're alive and look at all that is here for us. And, and you're being petty and you're cutting people off in line and you're being ugly, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. that's, that's where I'm going with the ugliness where you're going to have to come to terms with this. When I first got a glimpse of what it looks like or what it feels like to surf the Tao, I was just 
I was just feeling great for several months. Mm-hmm. And then the first time something went wrong, I was crestfallen. Yeah. I'm just riding the wave. I'm surfing the Dow. I'm like, well, I can't believe how great life is. And then I just felt, oh, the wipeout of people being nudges. And you can't just love the wickedness out of them, you know? <laughs> right. And I think it's, it's also important to recognize that I think at life in general, the lesson there is it is a process, right? Yeah. And that, you know, I mean, there might be the odd rare case where all of a sudden somebody, you know, all of a sudden sees sees the light in a certain way and, and bam, they're a completely different person and, mm-hmm. and never go back. Um, I don't think that that is the majority of people's experience. It, And I think that anytime with any spirituality, I think that there are moments where we feel sometimes where, you know, that somehow why, you know, why do we not, you know, why do we not feel connected, you know, in that same way that we did at some point and that we feel maybe, you know, alone, isolated, you know, this, the the world feels meaningless sometimes that will happen sometimes too and it's important not to um let your ego (laughs) get caught up in the moments when you're off track you know instead you can look towards again the path the way you know the way you want to keep moving forward and get back on that that track right yeah so this leads us to another pitfall of surfing the dow and that is becoming preachy. And when you see that, when you yeah. see the evil of the darkness, right? I mean, and again, and I think I mentioned this before, but <laughs> like one of the worst things I could ever do is say, well, that's not very Dow of you. Or, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Why are you, why are you and, spending all your money on that? You know, <laughs> glitter and glam. And we can, we can weaponize. By the way, glitter and glam, I shouldn't have said those are great things. I, I, <laughs> I love to see more. <laughs> more glamour, less uh, preening. I don't know. It's, it's hard to, but you know what I'm saying? Right. The, we can go around and just be renouncing everybody's false idols and their, you know, oh, look at that bougie car that you've got. You should, you know, join us in having a used vehicle and living by the beach, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, that's dumb, and but it happens. It's, it's a natural thing. We're, we're not telling you this to say we haven't done this. We're kind of saying that we understand that temptation. We know a lot of people that have these radical shifts in their life. And these are some of the pitfalls of surfing the Tao, if you're not careful. Yeah. Well, and once you, once you see and recognize goodness, truth, and beauty, um, there can be some people that will weaponize those things because there is a draw to those things. Right. And Mm. so one of the worst things, like, like I was just, you know, I said, I just want to make sure it was clear enough that when I, if I were to say, well, that's not very Tao of you. Right. Mm -hmm. That is so detrimental yeah, and we do this sometimes to each other. Thing. It's also true a lot, right? We're like, hey, that's not Tao at all, but it doesn't help to say it's not Tao. I, right, and it, it it's that judginess that enters into the, the whole scene mm-hmm. that I think throws everybody off the Tao. The, yeah. the better thing to do rather than being that preachy mm-hmm. <laughs> person is modeling you know, the behavior that, you would like to see that's it you know that there was i don't know one of the things that i've learned if you walk into a room and there's just chaos right yeah the best thing that you can do is not get caught up in the chaos and start barking too (laughs) yeah because i i you know if i'm not careful i'm very susceptible to just falling in to the line with the energy that is around me. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I might get defensive or, you know, all of a sudden, you know, like feel like, ah, I'm running, raise my voice, you know, right. but if instead, if there's any chance that you can be that voice of reason <laughs> or, you know, the, the peace. Yeah. And I think, I think the voice of reason is actually the wrong way to say it, if you don't mind me saying it, because I think sometimes we get caught up in the preachiness, right? Preachy, yeah. You're wrong. Let yeah. me explain to you why you're, you're wrong. Right. I know what you're saying. That makes sense. But yes, I, that is a poor, yeah. poor word choice. But I do mean that, you know, that often if you, um, you know, sort of can bring your own energy down a notch. Yes, you find and, that centering. And center yourself and, and you know, and, and have that peace. That is infectious for people. Um, that it can start to change the whole course and the energy level of a room. Yep. It's, it's easier said than done, but that is how to surf the Dow, friends, <laughs> as opposed to preaching. The, and the preaching doesn't work. And the other thing, I'll just mention this too, because I think it's, it's, it's amazing that, so if, if you are, like, music, does a, the whole, there's a whole lot of good you can do with music and music therapy, right? right? And just using it as a tool for therapy. And, you know, one of the things too, like, as a death doula, if, if you are, you know, like, if you're around somebody that is agitated or is upset, if you actually put on your peaceful music, that isn't as, as, a, as helpful because what happens is, is they realize the disparity of that music and how they're feeling. But if you can first sort of match that level of anxiety or something with a little bit, something that's a little bit more high tempo. Yeah, your communication is on target, like the Shen Ren. Exactly. The, the mouth is hitting the mark. And so then they can resonate with that feeling and then, you know, you sort of move them into softer, quieter, you know, more peaceful music, um, but you bring them along. It's not like, you know, a just a, a quick, you know, bring in your peaceful music and, right. and everything will be okay. Right. And, and I think that that's important to, um, cause you, people want their feelings, um, acknowledged and honored as well, you mm-hmm. know, and how they, they feel. And it's not as if you're ignoring them, uh, you need to rec- you know, it's, it's helpful to recognize it and then bring them along slowly. Anyway. And I'm not sure I fully followed up with what I meant to, to, to say about father Zosima. I mentioned how he said in the book, that once he had the mystical experience, he started to be in love with everybody, but he also saw how annoying they were because they weren't living up to their standards. And then, though, he found himself drawing um, much closer to sinners mm-hmm. because he saw that tragedy. So the, the positive side is that the wise, mature sage goes through that immediate sense of mm-hmm. not liking people finding them to be a problem, right? Mm-hmm. And yet then can can come back to them in compassion, right. recognizing how frustrating it is, recognizing how stinky some of their, their actions are, but still not abandoning them. And that takes us to the fourth potential pitfall for surfing the Tao, and that is um, completely going AWOL. Mm. just abandoning everybody and the whole world. Now, I believe that this is really important for you to do at times. Sometimes you just need to get your space and get your head clear and do that. But one of the things that I think we keep coming across over and over 
whether it was on our, our long journey or readings that we've done, that community still matters. Yeah. And, you know, a couple of years ago, I was pretty convinced that by now, right now, mm-hmm. we'd be just living in a van or a truck camper mm-hmm. and living just really in remote places and maybe washing dishes at a resort for some cash and then going on about our business. And I can't tell you how tempting that is. I still want to do it one of these (laughs) days. I mean, that's how I get to retire. But we realized that, no, that's not, that's not what it means to surf the Dow. Now there may come a time when that is your gift to yourself for having, you know, worked hard in your life. You know, that's called retirement, right? And you'll still try to find folks. The story of the writing of the Tao Te Ching is one in which Lao Tzu is tired of all the chaos, the political conflict, the infighting amongst people that are really related, you know, mm-hmm. and he just was going to leave. Mm-hmm. And as, as, as he was leaving, somebody sees him and says, wait, would you, before you go, buddy, <laughs> would you write down the wisdom that you know? Right. <laughs> and I think, not that we have got wisdom, but I think all human beings that come to an awareness of something more beautiful than what they've been given as children. They, they awaken to something so wonderful that you just want to stay in the wonderful. But this is as old as the great sages' uh, stories are. And the great sage, therefore, I would argue the Tao surfer, is akin to what the Buddhists call the bodhisattva. And a bodhisattva is one who comes close to full enlightenment and therefore is about to go into the realm of bliss, of nirvana, depending on the, the tradition, but is, is going to escape this cycle of life and death and instead realizes in compassion, I am not going to leave this game until, until every sentient being is healed. And if there's anybody left, mm. if there's, you know, there are some vows, there are some bodhisattva vows that say, if there's anybody left in hell, I won't go to heaven until I go get them. Wow. That's now that, nice. <laughs> that's, that's a, very heavy. The, I don't know, if, I don't know what it means to keep that vow, but I like the spirit of it in the sense <laughs> that it does, like I say, resonate with the, the lost sheep with, with Jesus, that idea that the sage, the Tao surfer doesn't leave people behind. Mm. Now, this is hard because... In our lives, there are people that I want to spend more time with, but I can't spend time with all the people in my life. There are some people that forever, for whatever reason, is I just, um, I need to make sure that I keep my boundaries, mm-hmm. right? So we're not saying that you owe anybody anything in particular, but to be detached from human connection is not the way for the Tao surfer to find happiness. And I would also uh, argue that I think boundaries are super important in in all of your relationships or you know that you when you whatever yeah right even ours right in married life and we've yeah and we've talked before that the way to have compassion um with the work of Brene brown is to have a sense of your own boundaries and that there's a you have a, a some lines that aren't going to be crossed and then when that is securely in place then you are able to honor whatever it is that the other person is going through without getting sucked up into it, without it becoming your life and your burden, that you can see that suffering and acknowledge it and 
come alongside them and be there with them. But again, it's not you and you're not owning it. You know, it is theirs and they need that presence. They need some people, you know, when people are hurting, they need others to come along. They need them to be there with them during these dark times. But it is so dangerous when you hear of caretakers that have basically put their entire lives aside and make their life story all this other person's life and whatever their dramas are or whatever they're getting caught up to. And I know it comes from a spirit of good. That or it want, could. It could, right? Yeah. Well, often. Can, yes, usually. At right. least it starts that way. Sure, right. And, and then it becomes addictive, that you're needed. And sometimes it can, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it moves into a darker place. But true compassion isn't actually like taking on and owning all of the pain and suffering of somebody, but it is seeing it. It is hearing it. Right. And it is being there with them through it. Anyway, I want to mention uh, that's that. That's fantastic. And I think, I think I'd like to make an audible edit to the chapter before it comes out. And that is, instead of number four being going away, we should just make four being either going away or getting too close. Yeah. I see what right? you're saying. And I think both are true, and I think we've done both. It's not that you, you don't want to not be there for those people, but you've got to be, be sure to do this, as you're saying, with those proper boundaries. And, mm-hmm. and that's, come on, that's perfect Dow, Dow surfing. It's balance. Yeah. Right? You've got to be able to balance those interactions with people. Let me get to the last one then. And the fifth possible way to become crestfallen or wipe out in your attempt to surf the Dow is to be too controlling of everybody. <laughs> you say, ah, now I know what the Tao is. Now I'm just going to put it to rights. I'm going to create a revolution in my family, in my church, in my <laughs> community, in my nation, and I am going to forcibly institute this. And you, so this person should be acting this way. I'm going to go make sure that... Just, we'll just do it for them. <laughs> we'll enlighten this, them. That this person loses their ego because they're too wrapped up in, yeah. in this part. And, you know, and, and think, you know what? I know the way. And, mm-hmm. and, and again, it can often come from even just a spirit of good of like, trust me here, I've got this, right? Yeah. But I, I also will say that when, and, and this happens so often, especially with raising our children and stuff, yeah. uh, that controlling piece that we, you know, often we want to do it because we want them to avoid certain pain or suffering or harm or something, you know, bad in their lives. We don't want to see them get off track, right? So if we just put in all of these, you know, rules and like, you know, and, and make sure that this is the, the exact path that they're going to take, the unfortunate part about that is you're stealing the moment for them to learn and own who they are and what their life is supposed to be. Their life yeah isn't supposed to be your life. And, you know, one of the things that I've learned with an Enneagram one who cares a lot about what is good and what is right. Again, if you're new to the show, Stacy is the Enneagram (laughs) one and knows what is right. (laughs) Well, at least I think I do, right? Well, that's the, that's the (laughs) the wink wink. Yes. (laughs) But, um, the, the ones often just will do a huge disservice to other people when they don't allow them to learn from their own mistakes or their own failures sometimes. Now that doesn't mean that you let somebody just, you know, blindly go, you know, off the deep end. I'm not talking about that, but I am talking about that 
you know, and, and there's another spot in the uh, Tao Te Ching that talks about our successes and failures, but our failures are lessons too. And mm-hmm. so there is something, you know, it doesn't really matter whether you learn a lesson through a success or a failure. It's a lesson that you're learning both ways. And I know that society, you know, loves it when we learn from our successes and they shame us from learning from our failures. Yeah. They but, don't let us learn from our fa- failures because we're running from the shame. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's, and that becomes the problem. And so we're the, there's, it's failure is a very good teacher as well. And I think that we also need to, um, lose the stigma attached to f- some failures because mm. that's, you don't get innovation without some failures. And you know? there's a way to, well, there's a way to avoid failure, of course, is to not try. That's and, what I'm saying. And to not help people. And, you know, yeah. sometimes great rewards come from great risk, yeah. right? Yeah. And if you're, you know, but with risk also comes the possibility that you aren't going to succeed. Yeah. And by the way, what is, what is that to the self? Nothing. The only thing the self cares about, the true self only cares about not doing the thing that the self was supposed to be doing here on this planet. <laughs> exactly. The ego, well, the ego's got a lot to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? And that's how right. you can cut itself. Right. And so that's so spot on. I mean, this is, this, is why, this is really why we wanted to start with this. Kind of took us a while to get there. But look, this is what it's all about. It's, it's about the, the children, letting them grow. Would you read that line one more time? Yeah. The stanza from that, uh, that chapter, chapter two. She lets the living things sprout without judging them, then lets them flourish without trying to own them. You know, and that's the other thing too, is the idea of controlling. Um, There is a judgment involved in controlling because it's the assumption that whatever they were going to do is not the correct path. And so one of the things that I think um, is super important as parents is that when we see our children, that we don't take what they do and what they don't do as somehow this reflection on us as a person, that yeah. we don't get our own value out of what they do or don't do. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, and I often will see it as, you know, that, oh, well, you, you might make, you know, excuses for your child, and I mean that right there is a judgment when when you're making yeah. those excuses and they internalize that they yeah. hear those things and yeah. I think that sorry they're not so smart today they're nervous or something <laughs> right. right yeah right like well okay because what, what's going on you're you're you're, t- you're totally spot on there is nothing I don't think barring physical direct abuse but there's nothing that just takes the wind out of a kid's sails worse than feeling like they are a bad representative of their parents' ego and, and prestige and glory. Right. That they somehow have taken this soul that has now passed on a generation and tarnished it by just being insufficient, f- failing to be what mom and dad want them to be. It's, it's devastating to us when that happens. It's devastating to your kids if you're doing it. Repent. Tell them you're sorry. Tell your kids you love them. Tell everybody. The same thing happens in marriages. When people fight, they fight. When they disagree, they disagree. But there's n- nothing as difficult as a spouse kind of rolling their eyes in public at their, at their 
spouse Mm -hmm. or saying something that says you've taken down my stock because you're you're a loser honey you know Mm -hmm. or you're not pretty enough or you're you know you embarrassed us because you're not sophisticated about how to eat your salad in paris Mm -hmm. in a way that is letting that other person be a tumor on your ego as opposed to their own true self. Exactly. Let it be. Right. Let them become. Let them and, flourish. And I want to add this other part too. It says the sage creates art without making it her identity. And that's anything that you are you're creating. I mean, what, whether it's the children you've created, whether it's, you know, the the home that you've built whether it's yeah. actually your work productivity or whatever, if if you make all of those things your identity, yeah. then you're confusing what you're doing and the things for your true self, but that's not your true self. This happens a lot in nonprofits, sometimes in colleges. There might be a really important leader that cannot let go to the next generation, uh, cannot let the next generation take new expressions or avenues or directions. Right. You know, you don't want mission drift and all this. I get that. But there's a way in which this takes us back to something we said on last season's discussion of Jesus' teachings about new wineskins. It's not that there is anything wrong necessarily with the way it was done. But there's a new day. Newer isn't always better. The Hegelian myth of progressivism, this, this philosophical idea that we're always getting better is not guaranteed to be true. Uh, but the, uh, you honor the past and you honor the great things that you did too. But if you need it to just be the recreation of your version of the legacy, it will fail. Right. I mean, it just will fail. So, and, yeah. and I really want to drive this point home because yeah. it might be implied, but I literally, when it says, without making it her identity, how many times do we make our children our identity? How many times do we put them on a path Mm -hmm. because it was the life that we wanted? Child actors I knew, just miserable. You know, what if it was a life that you wanted, but you weren't able for some reason to have, you didn't get to go to college, so you want to make sure that they get to go to college. Well, what if they don't want college? Well, I get to go to college have to go to college, right? Like that's, that's how they're going to raise the family stock. But yep. I know, but what I'm saying though is, is yep. that the, whatever in your life that you feel like either that you either failed or a lost opportunity yeah. and you force that on your children. Yeah. What it is you're doing is you're taking this wound, this, this, this festering wound from your own body where you are ashamed because your ego is wounded because you weren't good at baseball mm-hmm. or you didn't have enough friends or you never got, you know, a good gig in acting and you're going to make your kids be a successful actor or baseball player so that they can heal that wound. You just gave them a wound. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Let them find their own scars to kind of reckon with, right. not your own. And the other thing too, and this is, I mean, obviously with social media, this is so prevalent and I, and I think there's a fine line between, you know, sort of showing your children that you are proud of them for their accomplishments yeah. versus 
gloating about them in such a way that they feel like they are complete failures to you if they don't keep up a certain thing. Like if I, you know, I have, yes. I have to get these grades. Yeah. I have to be valedictorian or, you know, mom and dad won't love me or what yeah. if all of a sudden, you know, I did really well with my BA and I flop my PhD, you know, mm-hmm. like there's some of these things where yeah. people... You they, can praise them into crazy. <laughs> you know, right. It's like you could just give them so much of that. And it puts them up yeah. on such a pedestal. They feel like there's nowhere to go but down. And so it's very important that we encourage our children for who they are and yes. not what they do. And that's what you meant. You, you said, and I think you wouldn't have said it this way if, if you thought about it, um, proud of them for their accomplishments. Right. And I think that's better. It's close. But I think the best way of thinking of it is you are rejoicing with them that their true self is letting its art shine forth. And that's what it should that's be. That's what we rejoice together mm-hmm. in. But we're not proud of them because it's successful art. We're not proud of them because they hit the home run. Right. But we're proud of them that they're doing what they're here to do. Right. And that they are finding their voice. And whether or not somebody wants to pay them for their voice is kind of irrelevant. And they're creating an art and you see it as beautiful. And that is the part where you rejoice in who they are and this expression of who they are and not, again, what they have done or aren't doing, to be honest. Because that's the other thing, too, is the pressure can amount to so much that people can't even sometimes rise up to the the top of their full potential because there's just, you know, they feel like they need to be perfect or, you know, or that they're just always going to fail you. And, And so it's very important for... That's parenting. It's also just leadership in general. Yes. You know? Yeah, don't micromanage. We'll talk about that at some point, sure. Yeah, and, and that goes, again, for anybody that you're in some sort of relationship with, and definitely if for some reason you, are, you have the upper hand in that relationship or you know, are seen at least as being the person you know, that is in authority. So one way to summarize this, friends, thank you for being with this. Uh, this is a heavy one. It's an important one because it sets up so much important back background information for you know how to surf the Dow and ultimately what to watch out for and and like surfing it's okay to get uh, all tumbling around in the in the in the in the wash it's okay it's fun <laughs> yes. but just be aware of it when it happens get back up on the surfboard and and uh, keep doing your surfing um, I do let wanna, it be I do want to finish yeah with it because this part it says when her art is complete she lets it be. And this is why it endures forever. What is contrived, what is forced, it never lasts. It, you know, but what is just be, and when those things flourish and they become something and they're beautiful, that, that has, that's long lasting, (laughs) you know, that's, that's where, you know, that, that, that stays on. And, and it's, I would say the, the, the love, the unconditional love and all of it. Yeah. That they see when you when you see them and when you honor people for who they are yes and you love them <laughs> unconditionally yeah um that that you can't take that away from somebody in the same way you no know? no it's 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 uh, you can't get jacked mm-hmm. <laughs> that's they can't steal that so as we look at this uh, at this first lesson on letting it be Dao Jing chapters 2 and 7 we're saying hey let it be let yourself be. Mm-hmm. Let others be. And the practical way of saying that would be the Tao surfer models the Tao, but doesn't always preach it. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to say one thing before we end. Okay. 
we're telling people about the Tao. <laughs> and I also know that some people that listen to our show are preachers. Mm-hmm. And I want to say, uh, first to justify ourselves, uh, you're here with the explicit purpose of listening to us talk about these things. That's hopefully why <laughs> you stumbled onto this, unless somebody put it on your playlist <laughs> and you were listening to something else. All right. But so we're not saying that you should never talk about these things. It's great. It's great to get a group of friends to study and think about and admonish each other, right? Mm-hmm. What we're saying is you're not doing a, a great service to the world by going around and preaching at people, by being preachy. So, hey, so what we're saying is, all right, so if you're a person that's doing a podcast about the Tao Te Ching, you should feel free to talk about the Tao, okay? <laughs> if you're in a class on world religions, feel free to talk about Lao Tzu and the Tao. If somebody asks you for advice, talk about the Tao. If that's preaching, then preach away. If you are a person who's called a pastor and you are in a pulpit on a Sunday morning and people are paying you to talk, preach away, <laughs> my friend. That's your job. That's what people need from you, Right. We're not saying that there aren't words of encouragement and teaching and advice. We're saying that the job needs to be focused more on that coaching, that coaching to allow people to develop their, their best expression of their, of their self with, with full integrity. Now, just like in the series, Protect Your Noggin with Jesus, we ended each of the chapters with a couple questions for people to reflect on and for for this round, we're hoping to only give one question, and we're hoping to make it a little bit more open-ended, so you could use it with others in conversation. You could m- maybe think about it for the next week, and really just kind of mull this, mull this thought over, and see what insights come. And so, we're not going to discuss the question. I just want friends to give you the question, and we'll leave you the question so that you can kind of think of it, and then, uh, and then we'll sign off. But here's the question for this first lesson. Think of someone you love in your life. Someone you love dearly. If you 100% released control over them, what do you think is the worst that could happen? And what beautiful thing might arise? Till next time, friends. Peace upon peace. Thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP. And rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said that wasn't any letter. He said that was going out of my mind. That's going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? Perhaps because you found this letter low too much.